dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We know that St. Joseph was not present at the cross, but that doesn't mean that the, the cross was not present in St. Joseph. As a matter of fact, the cross is something that each one of us has to carry in order to enter into eternal life. It's the condition that our Savior laid down for true discipleship. I'd like to reflect in today's uh, talk with you all about how the cross present in St. Joseph revealed to us something about how God wants us also to lead in the different places God has put us. So we're gathered in order to reflect on the life again of St. Joseph, and I'd like just to, to really take a moment to, to ponder how it is that he himself fulfilled the Lord's command uh, to carry his cross after him all the days of his life and to be one with Christ in his act of saving the world. So again, we're looking at how powerful this person of St. Joseph is. He was chosen by God as the spouse of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. That's already a pretty amazing thing, right? And then he was chosen by God to be the father figure and the leader of the family that, that into which he sent his only begotten son for the salvation of the world. So this person was, was an amazing person. He had been tasked with the role of leadership that was the most important, uh, I think, personally, in the history of salvation. I mean, being king of Israel is a great thing, but being the head of the holy family puts that to shame. All right, so when we look at his life, therefore, we can see in him kind of a real example of leadership. And Christ told us that the greatest among you will be the ones who serve the rest. How did Joseph serve the rest? And he also said that if anyone really loves to the depths of his being, the greatest love he can show is by laying down his life for his fellow man. Where did Joseph lay down his life? Where was there the, the mystery of the cross that saved the world present in Joseph? I'd like to take a look at a, a chapter today in the Bible. You can pull out your Bibles. There's always good. Don't forget the power of Scripture. St. Jerome tells us this, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. We don't want to be ignorant of Christ. So where do we find him? In his holy word, right? So like, take out your Bibles, all right? So I make a joke about this because sometimes people, people you know, they say the Bible is just such a big book. Buy a smaller version, right? <laughs> if you can't have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, just, make, just get the New Testament, okay? And then if you're like, oh my gosh, I just don't know how this is so cumbersome is a sacred book, get a copy that you can actually bring with you. They're called pocket Bibles. It's an amazing invention, okay? So these things go for $10 a piece. So I just got a great way for you to, to make your spouse fall in love with you all over again. Say, honey, we don't need to go out on a date tonight. All I need from you is one simple thing. And he says, what's that? Why don't we just 
buy each other pocket Bibles. We can we can put initials on them. We can put big hearts around them. We can, you know, and I'll engrave a pocket Bible with your name on it, right? Just because this is my gift to you, God's holy word. If, if we get the Bible near us, we'll actually read it. Sometimes I, I tell people, you know, what you should do, especially if like your husbands won't want, don't want to read the Bible. They say they don't have time. Glue a pocket Bible under, on the bottom side of his remote control. <laughs> and that way, when you go for that remote control, just be like, that's fine. Just hit mute during the commercials, flip over the remote. You got three minutes there. You can read scripture, right? So <laughs> if you do that every hour, you've got 10 minutes of Bible reading every hour of TV that you watch. All you do is glue the Bible to the bottom of the remote control. No, but I mean, in all seriousness, we got to fall in love with Scripture. Uh, because when we fall in love with Scripture, we let God speak to us directly. No intermediary, no people getting in the way. God's holy word given to our hearts. And frankly, this is what we need. Because we live in a world of shifting sand where we're not sure of what is true. And, and what is true seems to change day by day. We just redefine it. We remaneuver it. We work our way around it. We justify it. At where is truth found in, in its purity? Like, where can I go to say, in the storm that is my life, where is my landmark? Where's the guiding star that's going to get me to the port? And that guiding star is his sacred word. And his infallible sacred word called the Bible. So I just think it's a great opportunity to encourage all of you to say the thing that'll change your life more than anything else is when you introduce scripture into your day. And, and I mean that. Uh, so, but let's take a look here at Luke chapter three. I want to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so St. Joseph, right? We think, oh man, this guy had it made. And if anyone did have it made, of course, it was the, the one who married the holy maid, <laughs> the Virgin Mary herself, all right? So like he had it made, God has got his back. There's no way anything bad is gonna happen to Joseph. And then we start looking at his life and we're like, holy cow, actually, Joseph went through a lot. If you just look at it, just I mean, just real briefly, the little bit that we know about him, right? So the woman that he's betrothed to, leaves without telling him. She makes haste and goes into the hill country after her annunciation with the angel. And there in the hill country, of course, she spends her first three months and comes back showing pregnancy. So the, the first cross is, why would, wouldn't God have told him? And then what happens next? God tells him. And then he said, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, as, uh, uh, this woman as your wife, for what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And now Joseph has to actually say to himself, the rest of my life is going to be given over in the pursuit of a mystery. That's something that I can't even fathom. I mean, God's son being given to me. Uh, if you think about it just in terms of the mere comfort of what he lost, 
the human comfort of knowing your life's trajectory, knowing where you're going, knowing what, you know, I've got my little home on the prairie. I've got my little white picket fence. There's goldfish in the backyard swimming in the pool, right? Like, you know, it all is well in Mudville, right? It's like, and then Joseph finds out that his life is to actually be the, the guardian of the son of God conceived in the womb of his spouse without his permission. God didn't ask him first. <laughs> and what does Joseph do? He rises to the occasion. He, he saints up, so to speak. You know, he, stands, he makes it happen and he says yes to God and he follows. He follows in that pathway. And what's the next thing that happens? He has to make a decision and God doesn't tell him what to do. Four times God wakes him up in his sleep with an angel and says, Joseph, do this, do that. Take Mary, go to Egypt, come back from Egypt. You know, there's, there's all these different moments where Joseph is spoken to. And yet here, all of a sudden, God doesn't tell him. And that's, what does he do? Does he go to Bethlehem or doesn't he? And you got to think about the cross that he went through of anxiety in his heart when he shows up at the inn and he finds out that it's full. He pulls up there and he sees all the other donkeys and he hears all the voices and he says to himself, if only I would have stopped to ask directions in Samaria, we would have been here earlier. <laughs> Maybe the reason they were late to the inn and it was already full is because they were on their way and Joseph didn't stop. You never know what really happened, right, in that situation. Maybe Our Lady said, I know the way. And Joseph said, I know the way too. Don't you worry, you know. And Mary, being perfectly obedient, said, yes, dear. You know, and then what ends up happening? Now they're late and the inn is full. And what does Joseph have? He's got some joker guy who shows up and tells him, the, the greatest man to ever walk the earth, and the queen of heaven and earth herself, that there's no more room in the inn. You know, I'd be like, and what does Joseph do? He rolls with it. And then he has to watch as his firstborn son is born in a manger. And you're thinking to yourself, did I provide well? God gave me one task, and that was to watch over the birth of this boy. And then here I am in a manger. And then you wonder if when it all clicked in his brain and he remembered all the scripture passages about the cows and about the donkeys and yes, about the son of God being born in Bethlehem. And, and, and you got to wonder when the angels showed up and the wise men showed up, if that wasn't a consolation to him, but it's a consolation that came after the storm that he weathered of being responsible for the Virgin Mary and responsible for the birth of Christ and assuming that responsibility and living that responsibility to the core and at the same time living it in a way that looked like he was a failure and accepting that and moving through it. This is a great leader. He leads in the, his eyes on God and he lets God define the trajectory of his life. How many of us are like that? Not enough. And, 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 and the list goes on, right, of, of his cross. And in all things, it's God drawing Joseph closer to himself through his hidden suffering. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. I mean, so let's keep going, right? Because we just, we just started to scrape the surface of the different ways that Joseph had carried like the cross or the sign of suffering in his life. I mean, he has everything in his hands at this moment. His son is born. The, the cattle are lowing. The poor babe awakes. People are singing Christmas carols. 
<laughs> you know, the first Christmas, he's, he's listening. He's like, I'm going to be at every Christmas carol this side of the Mississippi. This is great. You know, I'm going to be St. Joseph. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bam, in a dream, he's warned by an angel that Herod is seeking to kill his son. And he's got to uproot himself again and move his young family without knowing, number one, where he's going. I mean, the, the sign was go to Egypt. All right, Egypt's a pretty big country, okay? And there's Joseph, like, where am I going to go in Egypt? I, I don't know. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. But he goes to Egypt because that's what God told him to do. And he has to live in that ambiguity. You kind of wonder, did Mary say, um, Joseph, do you know where we're going? <laughs> it probably touched that raw wound of when they were in Samaria on the way to the inn and Joseph didn't ask for directions. I mean, you know, he's like, ah, this time I don't know. No, Mary, I don't know where I'm going, right? Like, but God knows. And I'm going to weather that storm. I'm going to lead this family. I'm going to go through into that darkness and God's going to lead us day by day, step by step as his most important cargo in the world. Kings are trying to slay this king and Joseph finds himself carrying the whole responsibility for the survivor survival of the savior and he takes that responsibility as such a light for us because there are so many crosses in our lives that we as leaders want to avoid simply by no longer leading and if I can somehow or other just turn off that switch and stop doing what God has asked me to do it'll all go away I don't have to lead a family that's actually holy. I can just let these kids go to pot. I can just live my little life the way that I want to, right? Like, or I don't have to really, you know, become, I pray with my, my wife. Like, I'll just let my wife, you know, pray. She'll do the praying for me. All of that's cop-outs, guys. I mean, when it really comes down to it, we have to accept that God has called us and summoned us into a hard life that will make us suffer, but it's for the sake of those who are behind us that we push forward. God has called the leader to make a wake in which people can safely proceed in their life in a place of security and peace because someone let the waves hit him in the face and took the charge, and that's you. And Joseph did just that. And he walked day by day, and he stayed there in Egypt until he went back and had to leave Egypt again. Look at all the, the, the motion and the movement in the, in, the, the, in the short 12-year span of the life of St. Joseph. From Nazareth down to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to Egypt, Egypt back up to Bethlehem. And he gets up to Bethlehem, or I'm sorry, back up to Nazareth. Then he gets up to Nazareth and he thinks that his life is all set and, he, and he's ready to go again. And the child Jesus grows in wisdom and grace before God and men. And then Luke chapter 2 happens. Let's take a look at Luke 2. Uh, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year of the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And as when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. That's a, here's a real zinger, right? I mean, Jesus is the perfect son of God. He's the perfect son of man. He's the perfect son of Joseph. He's the perfect son. And here he pulls a real zinger without telling Joseph, without asking for permission, without giving him alert, without anything whatsoever. He simply stays behind in Jerusalem and lets his parents be plunged in distress. I mean, you can imagine how great this distress was that even in the Bible, it even made the Bible, right? The Holy Spirit was like, I need an example of great distress. I know <laughs> when Joseph and Mary were looking for Jesus, you know, and they had to look for him for three days. They found him in three days. That means two nights. They began searching and then the first night passed. What were they, what were they thinking? What were they, I mean, I, they were focused on one thing and that is where is he? And they were going through everything. They didn't have a cell phone. They couldn't send a drone back to Jerusalem, you know, to look. <laughs> All these kind of silly things that we have it easier today, right? They had to go back in pain and thinking and watching and looking for what was going through their minds, what could have happened. And especially for a son who was so great. This wasn't like Joseph had several kids and then this one, you know, he could afford to lose this one. You know, no way. This was his number one and the most perfect and obedient child. So the, all of the blame in their hearts would have gone to themselves. It couldn't have been Jesus who was to blame for this. No, it had to be this. It had to be me. And, and, and think about the trial that went on between the two of them. The mutual trust that they exhibited at that moment because they were immaculate and without sin. There's, they didn't sin like we would have, accusing each other or fighting or whatever. But they endured the withering of three days without their son. And they endured it together. And maybe there we have a great example that they sought for him in sorrow together, united. It's like an amazing thing we can beg for from God, for couples who are faced with great calamity and great distress, that God somehow in his providence provide for them that grace to stay together and to support one another. We all know the important, here we have Joseph and Mary supporting one another. Even though they could have accused each other, that wasn't the way of God. They need to support each other. And sometimes if you think about your spouse, do they feel that way about you? When the going gets tough, does your marriage get going? Or does it slow down? Joseph and Mary, they weathered that sorrow and it brought them closer together because they refused to turn in on each other. And it's in a time of suffering is the last time that you need to allow your teammate, your greatest collaborator, to become a source of suspicion for you. This is a time where you need to turn into each other and lean on each other and be there for each other. And there's a great example of leadership to be able to turn to your spouse and say to them, hey, this is where we're going at this moment in this crisis, and that is that we're going to weather it together and no blame will be shown from either one to the other. Because it's not a time for blame. This is a time for us to search in sorrow and to search together for the one thing that unites us more than anything else, our child. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. But if you look at it, you know, really what else is happening in this passage it's not just that they're searching for him in sorrow it's that christ disappeared without telling joseph why is it that this happens 
You work so hard to make something that's really great, and you succeed at it. Joseph had the holy family. I mean, you couldn't beat it. <laughs> Why is it that God himself would intervene? I mean, you can think about Job. Job in the Old Testament, he is this figure who had everything going for him, had all the blessings of the earth, many camels, many perfect daughters, many perfect sons, all kinds of riches and wealth in, the, in this world. And then the devil approached God in heaven and said to God, God, if you will let me mess with Job and take away all of his goods, he will turn around and curse you. And God said, no, he won't. And the devil said, yes, he will. <laughs> and so God said, try him. And now, that's one of the most puzzling things in Scripture. Why in the world would God have allowed good things or bad things to happen to good people? Why would an innocent person suffer? And you go through the book of Job, and for 33 chapters, you've got nothing but Job's friends who surround him as he's sitting on a dung heap, scraping his wounds with a pottery shard. You know what I mean? Like, talk about suffering. And he's lost everything. He's sitting there, and he's saying, I'm innocent. I did nothing wrong. And his friends are saying, no, no, no. You had to do something wrong, or else this would never happen to you. God would not do this to an innocent person. And Job was like, I am innocent. And then God shows up out of nowhere, and God's like, Job? And Job's like, yes. And God says, you are innocent. And then Job says, then why am I suffering? And there in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, God doesn't give the fullness of the answer. What he tells to him is, you don't understand this. You're not God. You have to accept in this there's a wisdom that you won't understand until you make it through this life. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus gives us the fullness of that answer. Why is it that he did this to Joseph and Mary, for example? What's the answer that he gives to them? They're looking for him in sorrow. Their perfect family is out the window. And you say to yourself, why would God have done this? Why wouldn't God have intervened? I did everything right. I looked back at the Old Testament, and there's all kinds of promises. If you do this, then, you know, with your children, then they will, they will do the right thing. And, you know, you'll be a man who's blessed around his table with children like shoots of the olive, right? And you're looking around saying, I don't understand this. I did everything right. I followed your will. Then why is it that there's this calamity in my family? And, 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 and we can't let God off the hook because on the other end of that question is wisdom. Jesus tells him this, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, with a, you're like, with an answer like that, no wonder we don't understand. Well, take solace. Joseph didn't understand either. <laughs> the, verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. That's so beautiful. God leaves Joseph with a question. Why did you do this to us? We've been searching for you in sorrow. And Jesus doesn't answer him directly. He gives him a direct answer, but it's one that Joseph doesn't understand. You do not have to understand the ways of God. You just have to follow them. And, and, and sometimes people say, well, Father, I mean, like, if, if God treats his friends that way, no wonder he has so few of them, right? And I just say, you know, I, I, I get it. But what are your other options? Who else are you going to follow, you know? Give me someone who's going to take suffering away from your life. Nobody. I'll tell you this. I love a God who says to me, I'm not going to take suffering away from you because I'm not afraid of suffering. I'm going to use suffering as an instrument to draw you closer to me. What did Joseph have? He had a perfect family. God allowed that to be taken away from him. For what? So that Joseph would love God for God's own sake with nothing else. His perfect son that he was given and he protected for 12 years ends up leaving him in the temple to be about the father's business. 
And Joseph could have said, well, hey, wait a second. The father gave me to you, you know? And Joseph is like, Jesus is like, I'm sorry, I'm going for the father alone. And you, Joseph, need to follow me. I am going to serve the father and dwell in his house. And as I go, I'm taking you with me to a different perspective. It's like, look at how, how Joseph, there's a phrase in French. It's a beautiful word. It's called dépaysement. Dépaysement. Dépaysement means being taken out of your countryside. Dépaysement, paysage. Countryside, being taken from your land, your homeland. Joseph is dépaysé. He's taken away from his comforts and his surroundings and his sureties time and time again by God. From his marriage to Mary to the birth of Christ to the flight in Egypt. And now once again, even in his fatherhood over his son, he's got to let God be first. You could say, why is that? And I'll say, because everything that's good in this world finds its culmination in God. And the wise man is the one who lives his life for God. None of us can take anything with us from this world, including our relationships. They are from the hand of God, and they go back to God. And the sooner that we realize that, the more that our relationships become full of health. Our family life is broken open by the cross. It's true, but it's broken open for the light of glory. As we can bear witness and look at that ultimate sign of leadership, why would God ask a good leader to lead in sorrow and in difficulty? Why would he break open the heart of this father named Joseph? He breaks Joseph open so that Joseph can live completely abandoned and surrendered to God's good mercy for him. And God who asked him to be stripped so profoundly and placed into such poverty that even the one thing he's called to do, which is lead his son and protect him, he can't even do perfectly. He ends up having to have his son run away. It's so that he do it perfectly. What is that perfect? That perfection that God's looking for is a heart that's turned to him and depends on him like a son, depends on his father. Joseph, the father, is brought here to his knees and taught by his son that he has a home in the Father in heaven, that his fatherhood is perfect when he becomes a son towards, the, towards God. And God is the supreme father. He provides for everything. Joseph's brokenness and littleness here, his sharing in the cross, is actually an opening in his soul to glory. And this, this final purification that we see in the scriptures after this, Joseph doesn't say anything else. He disappears from the scriptures. He disappears because his life has been plunged into the Father by the Son, his own Son himself. And he goes in the mystery of poverty, littleness of spirit, to let the glory of God overwhelm him. And God will do the same to us. Dare great things for Christ, my friends. Dare them in and with the power of God alone. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.